we decided um, not too long ago, there's my glasses, these are my good preaching goggles, that's good. We decided not long ago that we were going to preach on the Old Testament through, through the seasons before, the season of Lent before Easter. And part of it for me was this story. And I don't like this story, or at least I didn't like this story up until about two years ago, because I thought it was God being mean to Abraham. And I could never figure out how it worked until one piece kind of moved and the whole story helped me understand a little bit more about the, the love of God for, for Abraham and Abraham's faith, which is just dramatic, right? Just, just dramatic. But when I grew up, uh, my father's a pastor, my mom was a Lutheran teacher. And see, so we grew up with all these Bible stories. I can tell you Bible stories like, uh, I mean, over and over and over again, we had a little yellow book that was similar to this, and every night we would read a, a, little, a little Bible story. And sometimes it was Adam and Eve and Noah and the ark and Daniel in the lion's den and, and all of those little pieces which, which become a part of you, right? We, we, we ask the Gunnersons if they're going to raise their, their child in the faith, and part of it is making sure that the children know the content and the story of, of the faith. And some of those Old Testament stories are kind of tough. You're like, and wow, and whoa, God's pretty tough and God's pretty mean. But growing up with that and, and knowing those stories and figuring out how they kind of connect together helps see a bigger picture of God and what God's doing and how God's doing it in the lives of the people then and in our families and what God's doing, doing now. And one of the most difficult stories was this one. And God comes down and says, Abraham, you just uh, take your son and go do him in and, and, and it'll all be good. And I could never figure out why God would be so cold-hearted to Abraham. But I could also never figure out how Abraham would be so dedicated and so trusting in God. But Abraham's life was something else. It seems like Abraham's whole life is a test. God chooses Abraham out of all these other people. He, he chooses this guy and says, why don't you take all your stuff, your crops, your kids, your cattle, take all your millionaire stuff and move over here to a land that I'll show you. And Abraham says, okay. Now, I remember when I relocated my family from northern Wisconsin to southern California, it took an act of God to make that happen. But in Genesis, it just seems like Abraham goes, okay, we'll move all the people, all the herds, all the cattle, all the stuff, we're, we're out. And it always seems as Abraham is nodding yes to God and saying, oh, okay, if, if, if you're leading me, I'm, I'm going. And then there's that covenant that God makes with Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you wealthy. I'm going to make your name influential. And at the end of the day, you're going to have a family that will be like the sands of the beach and the stars of the sky, which is fascinating to think because how many children did Abraham have? One. He had Isaac. Now, I could see if it was like Jacob, where he said, I'll give you 12 boys and 15 girls, and you can build a great nation. God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And one, one, one boy named Isaac, which is why it seems kind of capricious to me for God to say, now take Isaac and do him, do him in. But God had always worked that way in Abraham's life. Isaac himself was a miracle. If we were to look now and say, with all the reproductive stuff that can go on, the doctors and the, uh, 
we still would have looked at Abraham and Isaac in their 80, uh, Abraham and Sarah in their 80s and said, that's just not happening. Matter of fact, it was so much so that when the angels came and, and they visited with Abraham and Sarah, that Abraham and Sarah laughed. And the very name Isaac means God laughs or God has, you know, God's, God's humor. Test after test after test, and Abraham stands strong. But the history of our faith and what we stand on, Abraham is a hinge. Without Abraham, there's kind of nothing. You get from Noah to Abraham, and, and you're in pretty good shape. But Abraham and the covenant that God made, that all people on earth will be blessed through your offspring, Abraham. Just the one dude, Isaac, just the one. God said, I'm going to bless everybody through you. Everyone will know what God is all about and what God does and who God is and the nature of God through Abraham. And it's the, the nation of Abraham. It's the people of Abraham. It's the faith of Abraham that opens that big door of faith to you and me today. Without Abraham, we're not sitting here. But with Abraham, we lean into the word and the promise of God. Because God uses families like Abraham, families like ours, to drive history and to drive his love, his mercy, his grace, getting from generation to generation, from people group to people group, from me to you, from me to my son, from me to my grandson, from my grandson to my great-grandson, and on and on and on. Abraham is the hinge that opens the door to God's blessing all people. And make no mistake, God himself is driving. And, and God isn't driving a little bit. God isn't like, well, well, we'll put a little piece here and we'll move a little bit here. No, God is driving like a, like a, like a bulldozer through a construction site. God is driving. And, and God is driving from this promise from Genesis 3.15, which says after Adam and Eve fell in the garden, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he says to the serpent. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now you look at that, you say, Pastor Tim, there's a lot there. But I can tell you unequivocally what Adam heard when he heard that. That the big bulldozer of God's promise was moving towards redemption. That you and me would be close to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that God would use Abraham and Adam and Eve. He would use Abraham and Sarah. He would use Jacob and Rachel. And he would ultimately get to Mary and Joseph. And that would be the one by which all the world would be blessed that God foretells to Abraham and Sarah. And even beyond that, the one who would crush the heel of the serpent and overcome sin and death would come from the line of Adam and Eve, from the line of Abraham. Mary and Joseph, the baby Jesus. And as we think about that going into to Lent, as we kind of count down to Easter, I think this story becomes very significant. It becomes a thing where we can see the nature of God, that God isn't going to be dissuaded. God isn't going to move. God isn't going to give up. But God is constantly working in the hearts and lives of all his people, you and me included. And here's how he worked in Abraham's life. He said, Abraham, take your boy, thinking Isaac was probably middle school at this point, 
old enough to carry the wood, Abraham old enough to have the fire, all of the things on their way, their only son, the only one. God said, I'm going to bless the world through you, gave him one, and then he says, you take him and sacrifice him. And so they go to Mount, Mount Moriah. It said the place where God, God provides. And they're walking along. And, and, and the banter, right? In our family, we, we talk and we share and we, and we visit all the time. And, and I wonder what was going on in that conversation. I'm sure they weren't talking about football and baseball. Maybe they were talking about crops or herds or just family or whatnot. But finally, it dawns on Isaac that they have everything that they need except the peace for the sacrifice. And I wonder if in his heart, if Abraham had that figured out, I wonder if in his heart, Abraham said, you know what, there's got to be something that's going to give here. Or if he was devastated. Pastor Trevor's sermon this morning, he said, we don't have, we don't have all of what went on here, but we do have the promise of God. And God, the promiser, promises life, not death. And so Abraham and Isaac, in their bantering, Abraham says to Isaac, God will provide a sacrifice. You ever say something that's bigger than what you intended to say? Because that's an enormous statement right there. Not only will God provide the sacrifice in that moment to take away the tenseness and the anxiety from Abraham's heart, but he also down the road will provide a sacrifice for you and me as the bulldozer of redemption mows down sin and death and the power of evil. And so it's all there. The altar, the fire, the knife, the sacrifice. And then God provides a ram. The angel comes down. The knife goes up. The angel says, no, 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 no. You stop right now. And I think they all went, then they have the moment of worship and they sacrifice the ram on the altar and the blood sacrifice makes atonement with God in the way prescripted by God and Abraham's faith is tested and refined and made real in this in this moment and the anxiety and the uh, the tension in this story right? just so so tough so where do you want to go with this? I, I, where do you want to go? We, we could go in this story probably two different ways. One would be for me to say, and your whole life is there where God tests you. And you're the, the, the painful stuff you're going through today in your life is, is God testing you. And like Abraham, you can just stand up and it'll all be okay. Well, that gets you about this far into a story that's about this deep. You should imitate Abraham. But there's something deeper going on here. There's something broader in the history of God's people, in the history of the world going on. How about if we go this direction? In Canaanite religion, you gave your son to God. Somehow God was this burning, angry statue. 
And people made little statues and put them in their houses and they put them on their shelves. They, they, they made these little weird altars and all this stuff. But the focus of Canaanite religion at that time was that you sacrificed your son to God and that somehow in that sacrifice, everything worked out great. The crops grew, the herds expanded, and you somehow had peace with God. But you had to do something to make God's anger kind of be satiated. And I don't want to get too yucky in this text. I, I know we got a lot of little ears here, but I think you get the point. In Canaanite religion, you gave your children to God. But Abraham knew. Oh, huh. but Abraham had faith in God. In the covenant that God made. Adam and Eve, to Abraham and Sarah, was that God would send his son to redeem his people. It was the complete, complete inverse and opposite of the Canaanite religion. You see, in the Canaanite religion, you satiated God with your children. But in the faith that Abraham had in the Lord, God sends his son for you and sacrifices his son for you so that on the cross when Jesus died God provided a sacrifice to bring atonement to bring closeness with humanity and God God provided he provided the seed of Adam and Eve that would crush the head of the serpent on the cross he provided Isaac's great 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 grandson Jesus in this Lent, we're reminded that not only did Abraham pass the test, but that Isaac's family and Abraham's family become great. And then it was reduced to the one, reduced to Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who in sacrifice took away the sin of the world, made peace for you and me with God. On one mountain, Mount Moriah, God gave a shadow of what was going to happen on Calvary. And God provided a ram on Moriah and a son on Calvary. That in 2024, in a chaotic time in the world, when it seems like everything's kind of up for grabs and everything's crazy, and we argue and fight about this and that and this and that, that God looks at us and says, I have provided for you a faith upon which you can build a family and raise children upon which you will have a value system that has stood the test of time for eons. I will be your God, and you will be my children. And I'll seal that covenant, that promise, with my son on the cross for you. And so this story gets us a little closer to Easter, a little bit closer to the heart of God and I don't know how that meeting went in heaven. If, if God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were sitting in, the, in, in counseling, Jesus, and God says, okay, you go, son. And Jesus said, you got this. But I do know that God provides not just the way out, but the way of redemption for you and me. So that we don't need to sacrifice for our sins. We don't need to make atonement and appeasement with God. 
because God has handled that in the person of his son, Jesus. And during these days before Easter, this story helps us put more clearly into focus what God has done for us in Christ and reminds us of the covenant and the promise that God made. And with that, we're all a little bit closer to heaven, both chronologically and faith-wise. And yet I want to come back to that little thing for just a moment, and that's our testing. Because no question, there's 250 people in here. There's someone going through it. Someone saying, why is this? Why me? Why now? Why my family? Why this kid? Why, why, why? How come? How am I going to make it? Who's here? And while this story points us to Christ, it also allows us to have great confidence in Him. That in our moments of, moments of testing, that God is not tempting us or God is not laughing, saying, look at what I can do in this person's life and look at how miserable I can make them. Rather, in our times of testing, God calls us to find rest and peace in Him. And that marvelous, marvelous conversation that Abraham has with God. He says, here am I. I'm with you, Lord. I got it. We'll go to the mountain. We'll do the thing. And we'll trust you to provide. Sometimes in our time of testing, it's a marvelous thing to look at ourselves and say, God will provide. And that when the time of testing is over, the promise of Jesus from Romans chapter 8, that things work together for good, is a powerful reminder that when we get stuck in the yuck and the pain of life, that something marvelous is growing on the other side. And maybe we don't see it today, but after the time of testing, we will. And all points in times of testing, all points back to God's strength in our lives. That we make it and we made it because of the presence of God and the community of people around us who walk with us and know us and love us. We can do it because on this mountain, God, God provides. And this little promise, if you're going through it, from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, these have come, these tests, these painful episodes of life, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even when refined by fire, may result in praise and glory glory, when Christ is revealed. If you're going through it today, if you're going through that testing time, hang on to that cross. Reach out in community. You're not alone. As a matter of fact, all of us, for the most part, at least those of us with gray hairs who maybe call ourselves grandpa, <laughs> we've been We've been through some of those tests and temptations and we're able to reach out a hand and a heart and a word of encouragement and remind you that God's grace and God's presence are with you now, always, and especially at the end of your journey. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, it's good to be together today. Thank you that you love and you enfold children and thank you for the baptism of beautiful John Wesley Gunnerson today. We're reminded that Jesus in his ministry grabbed children, put them on his lap, and blessed them. What a marvelous, marvelous contrast that is with the culture that is just so yucky. 
We rejoice in the opportunity to serve you today. We thank you for Abraham, for Isaac, for Jacob, for the fact that we didn't invent this covenant, but you did, and you ratified and sealed it in the gift of Jesus. So be with us, Lord, in our times of testing. Grant us strength and courage in our lives today. Help us hold tenaciously to our families, to our children, to those that we love, that we could be models of righteousness and examples of your grace to them. Strengthen us in our home and families and grant us your grace as we live together and find meaning and purpose in doing so. All these things we pray in the name of he who provides, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.